With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Thank you for downloading the Final Furlong Podcast. I'm Emmett Kennedy alongside At The Races contributor, Mr. Roy DeLarge. Well, hello. And welcome back to the show, my friend, as we look ahead to the weekend's racing. Uh, speaking of, French Racing is live and exclusive to Sky Sports Racing and at the weekend while we are in the midst of the flat season and we are getting very very excited about beautifully bred two-year-olds classic horses we've got loads of derby trials to discuss on Monday's show again and we're recording on Thursday the Dante's on today we'll see if too darn hot in Japan and line of duty can throw out a fantastic finish but there's still some significant jump racing uh, particularly in Otoy, and you'll see it all at the weekend, Saturday and Sunday on Sky Sports Racing, a Willie Mullins battalion being sent over, including old favourite York Hill uh, from the podcast, and uh, the Irish Grand National winner, Burrow Saint, running on the Sunday in the steeplechase to Paris, if I remember correctly, Rory. So we'll see how Burrow Saint gets on, Paul Townend on board, Irish Grand National winner, Bop Home. And uh, Benny Didieu in action for Rich Ritchie on the Saturday as well. So it should be fascinating. There's a French superstar in there too, who Jane Mangan's a big fan of. Uh, we'll see all that. There is also a chance for you to win a competition to go to the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Now, I have checked the rules here. I'm not allowed to enter. Kevin isn't allowed to enter. Vanessa can't enter. And Rory can't enter. So we can't in any way rig this. Not that we would, Blue Peter style. But you have a fantastic chance of winning. The competition entry closes at 11 p.m. Sunday, 26th of May. You've got to be 18 or over, have a passport, I presume, batteries not included, all the usual stuff. This is a prize to go see the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, which will be live in Sky Sports Racing, uh, in association with Chester Racecourse, Destination 2, and Laurent Perrier, two lucky Sky Sports Racing at the races viewers will have the chance to attend this year's meeting on Sunday the 6th of October with return flights to and from Paris, hospitality package on the day, five-star bed and breakfast accommodation and a guided tour of the Laurent Poirier with lunch. Check out attheraces.com for terms and conditions and how it is you can win that prize. It's attheraces.com forward slash competition. You will get it there, but it's on the main page as well. And if you win, maybe you would consider bringing me or Rory or Kev, one of us, if you win through listening to the Final Forum podcast, we'd be delighted. Uh, attheraces.com and you will see the Qatar Pretty Like the Triumph all live on Sky Sports Racing. Uh, group one action. The lock-in stakes. Oh, I remember Hawkwing. Back in the old days when racing was great. Bolting up. Greatest performance I've ever seen. 
he says, to rise as many people as possible sarcastically. Uh, Aidan O'Brien runs La Bervido, having his second start. The former Royal Ascot winner uh, with Ryan Moore booked quite a while ago during the week in the saddle. Uh, good friend of the podcast, John Dances Lawrence, is in here as well, restarting your campaign, having claimed the scalp of Alpha Centauri last season and really Rory they are the two who are the most interesting this isn't the strongest of group ones uh in the back of my mind Royal Ascot is the main aim for La Bravido. but the more I look at this race I think it actually is quite weak and they won the race last year with um Rhododendron I wouldn't be too surprised if Hayden O'Brien won it again this year um no although <sighs> I'm not mad on on Labrivido as favourite for for this race, and it's interesting that um, he's two entries at Royal Ascot. One of them one of them coming in the uh, the Diamond Jubilee over six furlongs, mm. and most of his racing um, has been done at um, at six and seven furlongs. He was keeping on well um, late last time in um, in the Gladness Stakes, but that's not um, you know it was an encouraging return given that it's only his second start since winning the Jersey. Um, but it's not particularly strong form, um, and I wouldn't be falling over myself to to take that. Um, yes, Aidan's got a very good record in the Lockinge um, down the years, uh, and Le Ravido has to be taken reasonably seriously. But I thought um, he does need to prove that he's as good as he was two years ago. He's had his issues, obviously, since to have only raced twice since winning the Jersey. The Jersey, we've also got to remind ourselves, is just a Group Three. You know, we. Uh, I was very impressed by that performance. A lot of people raved about it, but it's only a seven furlong group three, yeah. um, and, a, and, a, and a group one over a mile for a horse who's clearly had his problems since then is a big enough ask to, to make yourself wonder why he's favourite. Um, he obviously does stay a mile because he was he was beaten a nose in the uh, the French Guineas, but the way they the, that race tends to be run suits speed horses to some degree. Um, yeah, I mean, again, he was very, very strong at the finish of the jersey, and you'd say he stays, he stays a mile um, on that evidence. But Newbury can be a pretty stiff uh, mile um, when they go hard here, and there's a slight question as to whether, you know, he might find that stretching, stretching him at this stage, um, given that he's only he's had very little racing in the last two years. And it's interesting that on his on his final start for Andre Fab, he dropped him back to six furlongs at Newmarket. So um, his trainer, you know, was not convinced that he was a minor, despite the fact that he'd been second in a, in a Pula. Uh, and I'm a little bit concerned about that too. I think he might be more interesting going for the six furlong race um, at Royal Ascot. But he's, he falls between two stools a little bit. Um, it'll be a good training performance if Aiden has got him back to his very best form, because it's not like he's a standout. You know, again, getting back to his three-year-old um, campaign, the race we all talk about was his win in the jersey. Um, but that is just a, a, a group three it, it hardly worked out brilliantly. I beat a 66 to one shot on the day. Um, and um, we, we shouldn't be going overboard about that for all. We'd like to think he retains a bit of scope. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think the more I, I look at the race, like I was teeing you up there to try and, and see if it is such a weak race, is it just a case of he could take advantage of this? Aiden's won this race twice off the top of my head it was a Hawkwing and Rhododendron last year he's had horses run very well in the race but Declaration of War for example was was backed as though defeat was out of the question and bombed but then went and won the Queen Anne and Royal Ascot 
the, the Queen Annie is a much better record in. And to me, that's a race that they would be more interested in winning from a commercial standpoint. And I just wonder if this is going to be another step towards Royal Ascot. And I get entirely what you're saying about the Diamond Jubilee, but th- this to me would be a, a, a stepping stone. I wouldn't be surprised if he was beaten here, and I don't think that would preclude him from winning the Queen Anne, which he's become a bit of a gamble for. Um, so if he's a horse that you deem then that makes the market in this race, who are you prepared to, to go with? Does that mean that Lawrence at 11-2 to 2 comes in? Are you looking beat the bank with Sylvester D'Souza with his new retainer or something else? I, I think it's a reasonably open race. Um because there aren't that many um, who are good enough to win it who are rock solid. Um, you could argue that I Can Fly is overpriced because if Ryan was riding her, she'd be, she wouldn't be far off favoritism. You can always ignore a, a poor run at, um, at Maidan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know her, her second um, in the QE2 uh, gives her every chance here. Uh, Lawrence, her only, her only poor run really, um, last year, sorry, her only put run at a mile uh, came in the QE2. She was clearly over the top then. Um, but she'd be very, very interesting in her previous form. Um, and unlike most, she is, she has to prove it against the Colts, obviously, but she um, she always ran her race when conditions were right last year until that final run. You could argue maybe the ground was on the soft side for her Raskin as well, but I, I thought she ran as if she just, it was just the end of a long season for her, and especially to bounce back. You can make cases for the likes of without parole, who looked a world beater early last season before losing his way a little bit. Um, he's got blinkers on for the first time. That can make a difference to him. Uh, and yeah, you you can um, you can make a case for a few. Uh, I'll I probably end up going for Lawrence if I've if I've got to have a bet in the race. Um, the other one I thought was was. Um, Interesting, although I probably want a slightly bigger price, is beat the bank because um, he keeps suggesting that that he will land a Group One prize at some stage. Um, mostly based on what he's been doing at a slightly lower level, um, he's been disappointing when he's been tried in Group One company. But you've got to bear in mind with him that he was a pretty little developer. I think he'd do better this as a five-year-old, um, and his record in sort of Group Two and Group Three company is very, very good indeed. And I was impressed with um, how he grinded out at Sandown on his return. So he's got fitness on his side, side as well. He, it was considered with him for a while that there's a horse you needed soft ground, but he's proven that to be all wrong. That's just a case of of, of um, opportunity early in his career, and his best two performances now have come uh, arguably on good to firm ground. So conditions are fine for him. Also, I'd rather be drawn uh, towards the inside of the track here than, than on the outside. And Bravida was drawn highest of all, um, which is historically a tricky draw. Um, beat the bank's drawn and stole one um, which would be better but I think the way this race will be run um, will will suit Lawrence she wants to be um, close to the pace and she's got Ostilio drawn reasonably close to her uh, he was very disappointing on his return but he's very fast and he's got only one way of running um, so he will he will be um, herring off in front I think and he's close enough to her that he's going to bounce out of the stalls and, and I think go up the centre or wherever Osher Murphy um, decides where the best ground is and then Lawrence will be able to sit on his tail um, and that should give her the perfect tool through the race so just looking at it, working out how it's going to pass 
pan out and who's going to be suited by the run of the race. Um, I'm inclined to come down um, in favour of Lawrence, um, despite that disappointing run in the QE2. Okay, she comes out of stall 12. Why do you think it is that there is this bias towards the inside, uh, towards the, the lower numbers in the lock? They just, they tend, they tend to... Yeah, they tend to come up the middle of the track, mm. um, and you just look at the previous results. Um, it's not it's not impossible. Toronado, um, looking back a few years ago, when this is running good at firm ground in a big field, Toronado, fifteen, um, and he came second. Um, but there's just it's just harder to come from a very high draw um, and get competitive here, unless you're able to get to where the horses want to be. And historically, the horses don't want to be up against the rail; they want to be more towards the centre of the track. Um, and you know you don't want to be isolated. And uh, I think because of his run style, Libravita was is liable to be isolated. Although of course, Ryan Moore can take back from the start and move him towards the centre of the field um, behind other runners. But then he's trusting to luck a little bit with his run. With Lawrence, although she's drawn in twelve, which doesn't look like the perfect draw, she's got the early speed to track across to the centre of the track. So wherever, the, the jockey's going to walk the track beforehand and, and decide where they think the best of the ground is. And it can vary across the track at Newbury. And it can vary from meeting to meeting as well. But um, the likes of Oshin Murphy, who's going to be in a front runner, will know where he wants to be. He'll know where he considers the best of the ground to be on a studio. And he will make his way there. And as I said, because Lawrence has that natural early speed and because she's drawn quite close to him, she will be taken across there as well. So will be in her favour. Uh, that's the way I see it. Um, and then we'll we'll see how it actually pans out in the day because theory is one thing and practice sometimes is something else altogether. I mentioned Hawkwing winning the race. It's got quite the role of honour. Paco Boy, Canford Cliffs, the mighty Frankel, Far, Olympic Glory, Knight of Thunder, Ripchester, Rhododendron. Uh, Ballardo was good as well, but not exactly a superstar. We, I started this by really talking up the Bravido. He's a bit of a project for me. I think he's going to win the Queen Anne. I have this something in my water, Rory, that tells me this horse is going to win the Queen Anne. I don't necessarily think he's a bet at the weekend. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he goes and wins it. For me, the 20 to 1 of it, I can fly, is embarrassingly big. And Wayne Lorden is a big race jockey for Aidan O'Brien. Uh, so I would be more than happy to go with her. And uh, we've talked about it before, about the fact that Ryan Moore isn't exactly choosing to ride these horses. He's been told so... Lawrence for you? Yeah, I, I completely take your point about I can fly being um, uh, being a very big price based on a supposition that could well be um, miles out. Um, and it's not a race I'd want to be throwing my last penny at um, given the stage it comes in the season. But um, I can see the race panning out for Lawrence. I think she She's more solid than most in the race, and she would just about be the pick. Okay. It's going to be a fascinating race to watch, and particularly with a view to later in the season, which is probably something that we should also apply to the 225 at Newbury, because Crystal Ocean, who we're almost certain to see on Sky Sports Racing at Royal Ascot, and also in the King George later in the season, you would think, uh, will be in action in a race that he won last year. He's odds-on favourite to do so again, but it's hardly an inspiring race Rory this is the 225 at Newbury where he's currently 7 to 4 on and probably getting shorter yeah the, I mean, he was he won this race last year and he was he was um a, a 2 to 5 shot um he's come out this season um to win the um uh, the Gordon Richards takes a sand down first time out looking you know as good as ever and he ought to make very short work of this we know how well Sir Michael Stout does with 
with horses like Crystal Ocean. We know that he comes from a family that tends to develop with age as well. Um, he's got everything in his favour, and it's it's easy enough to say it's it's an uninspiring race, but it's not, it's not a bad race at all. It's just a race in which one horse absolutely stands out. The nature of these um, uh, these Group Threes, um, and the fact that he was bashing his head against a brick wall um, in Group One company last summer, he came very close um, to, uh, to to winning um, one of the finest races in Europe last season, but um, he comes into this getting weight from Raymond Tusk. So, you know, um, work that one out. You know, that's big. Raymond Tusk carries a, a group two penalty for, for winning the um, the uh, Grand Premio del Jockey Club at Milan last year. And Crystal Ocean gets in there with nine stone three because he was just touched off in, in a, um, a stellar King George. Oh, so the, everything's in his favor. The famously um, strong Italian racing circuit. Indeed. He's a nice horse, by the way, Raymond Tusk. Whenever they, whenever he starts running in races where he, where he's not carrying that penalty, um, he's um, he's got decent races in him. I thought he ran an absolute cracker at Ascot again, giving away the penalty on the Cigarro Stakes. Um, he clearly stays two miles, so he's um, he's one to keep on side later in the season. But hey, this looks a, a bit of a penalty kick for Crystal. He's a high chaparral. You won't hear me say a bad word about Raymond Tusk, but you're you're completely right that if you've got. Winning a, an Italian race leading to, I know it's the pattern system, but like Italian racing has just suffered so badly. And yet you end up in this situation where Raymond Tusk has to give way to weight Crystal Ocean. It's a bizarre one. It's a bizarre one, to say the least. Um, definitely a case of wait and see for later in the season. In terms of, of him, um, he came so close to winning the King George last year. Surely they'll be going back for that race again this year. It seems like he's going to have a, a, a fairly... Um, similar campaign, I suppose. Um, the only disappointment last year is he didn't go for the arc. I thought he would have been, you know, oh, an interesting oh. runner in the arc, um, which he swerved to go for the champion stakes instead. Um, yeah, he's um, like a lot of see the stars progeny. I think um, the the faster the grind, the better for him, um, generally speaking. And the King George looks, you know, if you run the King George again, he he, he definitely wins it sometimes. Yeah, he looked. I think he traded. I think he traded one on one and running. Um, when he was beaten at, um, uh, last year. So he will be, um, you know, he, he will be a massive player this time around again. It was a terrific, terrific ride from both jockeys, to be fair, uh, from James Doyle and from uh, the man who's on his back, William Buick. Ryan Moore is, is in the saddle on Saturday. It's just both of them at their absolute best. Two stout horses pulling clear of the rest. It was a fantastic finish. Um, why in the name of God Crystal Ocean didn't run in the arc last year is beyond me but anyway we'll, we'll uh, a discussion for another day and we'll see how it all plays out uh, the 240 at Newmarket this is the only race that Rory's interested in talking about at Newmarket sees the return of Jash uh, last time out second to ten sovereigns had been uh, an impressive winner on his debut and then a long odds on favourite uh, at Salisbury his seasonal return for Simon Christopher is very much anticipated that being said this had the look of a really interesting race and I identified private secretary as being one that I thought was going to be an interesting bet doesn't turn up the entire field has been cut to pieces so Jash who was 11 to 4 and is now even money and odds on in places um is this a watching brief for you, Rory, in his return? Oh, he, he should win it. I'm not interested in backing horses like him at all, on, but I think we, we look at this race because it's it's a big pointer to what's happening. And I thought Josh was a really um, impressive-looking sprinter for this season. You know, there, we saw plenty of promising two-year-olds 
um, him among them. And a lot of them had pretensions to turn into Guinea's horses. And uh, he never did for me. He looked from his debut when he... Um, um, when he sprinted clear, was you know he, he wasn't it wasn't blindingly obvious on paper um, on his debut at Newmarket. But he was punted off the boards as if he'd been showing a lot at home, and he won by by a big margin despite the fact that the race wasn't run in such a way to uh, as to produce um, wide margin winners. Um, the Salisbury race was was um, uh, was a no contest really. The second favourite was withdrawn from that. He, he was left with nothing to beat. But again, he he looked. Um, he looked very fast, um, and he's improved again to at least. I mean, I think he got um, ten sovereigns off the bridle um, at Newmarket, and again he looked a very, very smart sprint um, in the making in that contest. I mean, behind that day, the likes of uh, Rumble in the Jungle, Maurice Diamond, Nemiratiana, all of whom had made their mark in Group Company before that. Um, the front two were were miles better, um, and Josh from day one has looked to me like a Commonwealth Cup slash July Cup horse um, and uh, we'll find out how well he's trained on um, but yeah I think he's he's a really really uh, interesting contender for the big sprints this season I think he'll develop well um, he's not exactly under the radar is he but uh, he's he's not favourite for the Commonwealth Cup um, it looks it always looks a strong race the Commonwealth Cup since it's been um, uh, inaugurated. Um, I wonder how he survived without it for for so many years. But I like him a lot, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be shy of backing him for the July Cup um, oh. if you can get an Annie Post price about him at the moment as well. But obviously Royal Ascot will come first, and we'll get an idea of how well he's trained on from this race. Although, you know, he's not going to be much of a price, and he should win easily. Yeah, he. You'd be disappointed now. I, I think that when you when I was looking at the entries yesterday, um, Wednesday night coming into Thursday. It looks like a fairly competitive race. Now it's been cut to shreds. So mm-hmm. he really should go and, and win it. Uh, he is bred to stay this distance, but I think you're right. Um, dropping back to six furlongs for the Commonwealth Cup will be, yeah, will be very, very interesting for him. Um, and the fact that you're putting him up for the July Cup says, tells us all you need to know. So look, if you want to put him in your lucky 31 for the weekend, uh, I'm not going to stop you at all. Uh, Josh is currently even money as I look on attheraces.com. And uh, as I said, that was the only race at Newmarket that en- that interested Roy DeLarge in the slightest, which means that we will move on to Newbury and uh, the race that kicks things off there is the 150. Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. The Carnarvon Stakes. Uh, red impression. As in the Queen's representative at, at Royal Ascot used to be Lord Carnarvon back in the day. See, that's the knowledge that would just destroy us in the final Furlong Podcast Christmas quiz, which is why you're banned from taking part because you just embarrass all of us. Red impression for Roger Charlton, Khalid Abdullah and Jason Watson, a dark angel out of a Fusaichi Pegasus mare, the Kentucky Derby winner back in the day. Uh, you really like this horse. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's a, a question for her to answer um, in terms of uh, the surface because her, her early runs have come in the old weather. That's a bit of a pattern with Roger Charlton. Um, he's, a, he's a trainer who's very careful with his horses. He doesn't like... Um, he doesn't like risking them too much earlier in their career. Um, he likes to bring them on gradually if he can. And he's clearly decided that um, the polytrack surface at Kempton, for example, um, and indeed at Lingfield, is just more forgiving 
um, than turf can be. Uh, you can get a, a wide range of turf going um, and it doesn't always match the official going description either. And some trainers would much rather run their inexperienced horses on the all-weather these days. Um, it's becoming more and more of a thing. But Roger Charlton particularly, I notice, um, will start them off on the all-weather. So she's never never run on turf, but there's no reason for her pedigree to think that she won't handle um, uh, quick conditions. She's got a very, very good pedigree. Um, as you'd expect, anything running in these colours tends to be um, extremely well-bred. Um, and she was really impressive in her first two starts um, last year. The main she won at Kempton um, looked okay on the face of it, um, going into it, but it worked out really well. Yeah, that was. I mean, I've seen listed races that were weaker than the maiden that she won. She beat um, uh, a filly called Listen to the Winds, who won next time out um, with another winner back and forth there, chasing the rain for, for Carl Burke. Uh, and she did it in really good style. She won by the best part of four lengths. Um, and clearly looks well above average there. She improved again to win by six lengths at Lingfield on her second start. Never easy winning by a wide margin on the poly track at Lingfield, um, given the nature of the track. And although she was beaten on a return in listed company at Chelmsford, I thought she ran really well. Uh, she wasn't, she'd raced handily in her first two starts and travelled well. She was drawn poorly on the face of it at uh, Chelmsford, and she was taken right back to the rear of the field in the early stages. Um, that did not make it easier for, for her to get on terms from that point. It's a bit of a blanket finish in the end, if you if you watch that race. It's on Queen uh, for Archie Watson came through to win it. The runner-up, Chappelle, was drawn and stole one. Um, the fourth Royal Intervention, he wasn't beaten far, was installed two. And Red Impression had a conference stole 14. Um, so she had to go around the entire field, essentially, but still looked the best horse in the race. She was favourite on the day, but I thought she shaped a lot better than, than a half-length defeat suggests. Um, I don't think she's going to have a problem with turf. Um, and the question here is whether she's well drawn and stole one. Um, I'd rather she was drawn in one than 12, but to be honest, I'd rather she was drawn somewhere near the middle um, just to, you know, to take that out of the equation entirely. But she looks a really promising sort. Um, the, despite the fact that it was it was a, an ordinary novice she won in her second start at the time, um, she did that and was very impressive. And she looks like she is a um, certainly a group two class filly already. Um, we'll find out if that's the case here. She's getting weight all round, obviously. Um, and I would um, I'd certainly make her favourite for the race. I'm not sure what kind of price you're going to get, but hopefully it's not too skinny. Hopefully it's not too skinny. How confident would you be about her, and what kind of price are you looking? Uh, oh, that's a, yeah, it's never easy to um, to tell there, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and again, the fact that she's not run on the on the, the turf is a worry, but I, it's, I think it's less of a worry than the market will tell you. Um, I've no idea. You might, you might get eleven to four about her, but it's a difficult race to price up. You might end up getting six to four, yeah. and you might get five to one. Who knows? Uh, I can see why people would want to be against her on profile, um, but I don't really agree with that assessment. Um, and you know, it's never easy for fillies against against Colts in this race, um, or or races like this early in the season either. Even though they're receiving weight, but I still, um, I still think she's the she's the most likely to progress into a, um, into a, a again, a Commonwealth Cup um, type performer. And a lot of these are, are exposed. 
Well, you made a convincing argument for me, so I'm not going to argue with you, Rory. She'll be in my lucky 31 at the weekend, uh, and we'll see how she gets on. Uh, speaking of horses at 5-1, to one, Solid Stone is exactly that price for the 10 furlong uh, London Gold Cup handicap at 3 o'clock at Newbury. This is a race that was won by Connections, the exact owner and trainer, Sir Michael Stout, back in 2014 with Canuck Chase, and uh, he's a horse who's seemingly held in pretty decent regard. He holds an entry for Royal Ascot for the King Edward VII Stakes, uh, winner of two of his four starts, going for the hat-trick. Uh, Odds-on favourite in two of those four starts. Uh, impressive over this distance last time out. And I like this horse an awful lot for the weekend, Rory. Uh, are you with him or are you going to I'm make not- me doubt myself? No, I'm not going to be against him. Um, I'm not going to be with him either. I'm going to look, I'm going to look for a bit of each way value in the race, but... Um, yeah, as you said, he's a very similar profile um, to Canuck Chase. So Michael Stout has many horses like this in the past. He brings on gradually, even if they are horses capable of winning group races at Royal Ascot, he's more than happy to bring them through handicaps. Some of his best ever performers have, have done that. I remember um, a long time ago, watching Pilsudski win a handicap at Newmarket with seven stones something on his back. Whoa. Willie Carson still riding before he went on and won about six or seven races that season and, and turned out to be, a, you know, an absolute um, warrior, mile and a quarter, um, international group ones. Uh, so yeah, we've we've seen it all before, and it, it's a bit daft to try to, to pick holes in his form. Um, I I mean, it was only a, it was a small field he beat on his return at uh, Newmarket. It may well be that it was a smaller field than it might have been because they were running scared of him off a mark of eighty five. Um, he beats um, Forrester Dean on his previous start at Newcastle. And uh, Forrester Dean looks a looks a you know a big player on paper as well. So the form ties in quite nicely there. So not not against him. Four of the last five winners of this have gone on to win group races um, uh, reasonably quickly afterwards as well. So you know this is this is the archetypal high end handicap that you're looking for potential group horses in. Um, we talk a lot about a group horse and a handicap. It's a bit of a cliche, but this is one of those races where um, the top trainers will be bringing on late developers who they have group race aspirations for and you know if if you're a if you're a 75 rated handicapper and you reckon you're two pounds ahead of the handicapper you're probably meeting something that's that will be rated 100 plus very shortly afterwards so it's never easy in saying that i am still going to be back in an outsider here down at the bottom of the weights tilomino for sylvester Kirk, number 16 on your card emmett i've saved you the bother of saying that oh no 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 i'm just trying to figure out what price this horse is <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd like to think he'd be a twenty-five to one poke. I say. And you know he's you know, continue, he's, he's Rory. Continue, Rory. As I go off and do completely unrelated business. <laughs> he's had two runs in handicaps off a mark of seventy-two. He's been beaten both times, but he was beaten very narrowly um, on his handicap debut at Salisbury and ran shaped very well. I'm going on strongly at the finish, um, and I was particularly impressed with the race he ran. Um, a good boot last time out, which is uh, potentially a messy affair, but strongly run. It turned into a bit of a sprint for home. And to be honest, um, he wasn't well placed the way the race developed, um, but he came clear with uh, another unexposed handicapper called Kumi, who, by the way, is uh, engaged to run at Ripon on Sunday, I believe. Um, and there was only half a length between them. They had a good battle um, for the uh, the win in the end, and they pulled four lengths clear of Queen's Soldier um, back in third with a, a gap back to the fourth as well. Now, 
that it's fair enough getting those kind of gaps in, in moderate handicaps. But when the race has been run uh, slow and turned into a sprint, you expect the, the gaps between horses to be smaller. Um, and you also expect horses who raced to the forward to be favoured slightly in those races, whereas Takumi and, and uh, Tilaminlo um, came from a fair way off the pace and dominated their rivals, suggesting the pair of them are very well handicapped. Um, he's gone up four pounds for that uh, Tilaminlo, um, but I think he'll improve again. He'll also, also improve for a stronger, a stiffer test at the trip. Um, his last two runs where he's improved have been the first two times he's tried a mile and a quarter. Neither of them have been run at a, a, an end-to-end gallop. I think he'll improve for that sort of race. He'll improve for a stiffer track as well. Um, and I think he's going to, I suspect he's going to run into something here, um, you know, uh, with the, the stout horse being the obvious one. But I think he's got decent uh, chances of hitting the frame off his mark. Um, and he's also interesting going forward uh, to Epsom um, on Derby weekend. There's a hand, there's a three-year-old hand to get uh, Sylvester Kirk always seems to, to um, lay one out for and he seems exactly the type for that race as well so um, keep him in mind for that unfortunately you can't have a have a related double on him to hit the frame here and do the same at Epsom but um, you can um, you can reinvest any winnings you have um, in that and as I said I think you, you're bound to get about 25 to 1 about him um, on the basis that you know he's down at the bottom with the weights he's been beaten twice in handicaps he's up against horses who are completely unexposed um, and are expected to improve chunks I think he will as well, um, but it's not so obvious on paper. 25 to 1 has me sold. Even though I will still be backing Solid Stone, I will also be doing the reverse forecast. And if that comes off, we're off to Dubai. Um, Anything else that you would like to highlight from Newbury over the weekend or anything else that stands out to you, my friend? No, I just mentioned one more horse in that race that, that was on my shortlist and actually ties in quite closely to uh, Tillamine in one form as well, is Huey Morrison's Court Show. And I, ah. I, I had to sort of weigh the pair of them up and decide who I was going to go for on the end. Um, and Court Show's also interesting. Again, he should be a, he should be a, a fair price, um, you know, certainly 14s or bigger. Um, he won his handicap at Windsor last time out fairly narrowly and he came under strong pressure to do it. And if you compare it, the style of his win with a couple of the head of the market, he'd be less interesting um, at face value. But um, he wasn't suited by Windsor, I didn't think, last time. I'd got IPS at a crucial stage and stayed on really strongly to win, um, having looked more likely to finish last at one stage. That was his first try at a mile and a quarter. He clearly improved for it. He will improve for a stiffer test at the, at the trip as well, um, based on how he did that. Um, and I do love a Huey Morrison handicapper on turf. Yes, you do. Um, or on the all-weather quite frankly um so yeah i, I like Cortro. he's he's he, he's not the he won't be the prettiest horse in the race um he looks more exposed than some but i still find the right way and again like tillamine though he, he's he makes some each way appeal it's just a case of, of working out you know who's out of line with prices and with outsiders you'll often see in the early betting you know you'll get 20s and thereabouts about horses who should be half that price and if you fish around and you've got a couple in, in mind then you can you can find a wee bit of value and um these two tied in quite close together because the horse that was uh third at windsor i think last time out was just behind tillamino at Salisbury um as well so uh, hopefully that line of form is reasonably solid and the great thing about it is the, the horse that was behind um coach show um james mullins is also love mr mullins um that one to finish um, I think third behind Tillamine Lewis Salisbury and the pink is to run tomorrow at Newbury so I'm hoping for a good run from him uh, and if I do then I shall be taking the best of the early prices about both sorry. Just, 
your, your signal slightly broke up there, Rory, as you were saying. What's the Seamus Mullins name course that you're hoping will run well on Friday? Uh, yeah, the, the Seamus Mullins horse is called um, the Pinkin. The Pinkin. And he runs in a handicap at Newbury tomorrow. Hopefully he will run well, and that will be a guide to, to both uh, Tilaminlo and to um, Corcho. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, maybe we're doing the TriCast with Solid Stone. Who knows? There could be absolute fortune. Well, I think, you're push, I think you're pushing it now. But, yeah. Well, listen. I settled for one place, to be honest. <laughs> Always aim high, Rory. Always aim high. Shoot low. Uh, on Sky Sports Racing, you will see the Preakness stakes on Saturday night as well. There's no Derby rematch, and the whole thing has gotten a little bit messy now as the maximum security owners are suing to have the Kentucky Derby demotion overturned. It's all getting very, very, very messy. The jockey band that was dished out, very belatedly too, was harsh, to say the least. Um, but the Preakness is still going to be a fascinating race, a uh, million-dollar race, and uh, you will see it on Sky Sports Racing on Saturday night. Um the Bon Corps in the champion hurdle uh, is uh, the horse will be taking on the Mullins Battalion. You'll see that clash on Sky Sports Racing Saturday as well. And then, of course, there's the Grand Steeplechase de Paris. The Irish Grand National winner, Burroughs Saint, will be there for uh, Paul Town and the new stable jockey after Ruby Walsh's retirement. In terms of jumps racing, we had one of the most shocking stories to ever hit the sport in the announcement that Michael O'Leary's hugely successful Gigginstown stud, which sort of emerged from nowhere to become a dominant power within a very short space of time, are donezo. They're wrapping up. Giving up the game. Wants to spend more time with his teenagers. Good luck with that, Michael. Um... This is a huge story, Rory. It's going to be a real blow to Irish racing. Yeah, it certainly has the potential to do that. And this is the interesting thing is how, how things will pan out. And the fact that um, uh, this is this is a, a graduated process by definition because there are an awful lot of horses in Jiggenstein ownership at the moment and they will continue to race um, for their entire careers. Uh, that was an interesting one, suggesting no, there'll be no selling horses off either. Um, but yeah, so those horses who are currently racing in the colours will, will keep racing, but no new stock will be bought. Uh, and that will have a big impact, particularly on, on the Irish bloodstock market, or indeed, you know, the, the market for, for, for um, horses coming out of Irish points to points. Uh, and there are a lot of people, people talk about the dominance of, of um, the big owners and the big trainers in, in Ireland. Um, but essentially, you've got an awful lot of people who've done very well out of the sport in recent years because the market has been so buoyant. So if you've got a promising uh, four-year-old and you can win a point-to-point with it, then there's a great chance of you being able to sell it on for, for big money. Um, and with the likes of, of Chickenstein in the market, those owners um, further afield in, in the UK as well are paying a premium to get point winners. Um, with big players out of the market, that the, the whole market gets weaker. And the question is, how strong or how weak is that market going to be? Is there going to be someone in coming in to fill that gap? Um, and if so, how quickly? Um, and if not, 
you know, how depressed will the prices be and what effect, you know, what effect will that have on the number of horses who are staying in training in Ireland as opposed to, to moving to the UK? We'd, you know, when I was growing up, um, Ireland were producing all the best steeplechasers, but none of them were being trained in Ireland. Mm. You know, I remember the days when um, we had three years with, with one horse winning at the Cheltenham Festival um, for Irish trainers, and yet all the horses were Irish bred. Um, and that was a time when everything was marked for export because there wasn't the money to keep them um, in Ireland. Uh, and the question is, you know, is this is this pointing that way again, or will there be uh, enough players at a slightly lower level, or new players willing to spend that kind of money who will step in and, and take that place? So there's certainly a place for it. Uh, um, people with, you know, people flat race owners um, who've seen the, the dominance of Chickenstown in recent times might think, well, actually, I'm in this for the glory as much as the money, and all these jump races are televised as well, so why don't I start concentrating a little bit on jumping? Um, you know, it depends whether whether you're in the sport for the sport, for the glory, or for the money, um, or a combination of, of all three. Um, it's You can argue it's good for some of the um, slightly smaller players who've struggled to... Um, uh, to find decent prospects at a reasonable price because the strong market is forcing prices up for everyone. Um, so there are plenty of owners there who'll say that they're very happy with the situation because it makes it more likely that they will get the horses that they want um, for the money they can afford to spend. And it is clearly good news for some some people um, like that in the market. Um, but the question is how the market will evolve over the next four or five years um, to deal with the loss of this big player. Yeah, it's good news for smaller owners, potentially. It's devastating news for the Irish racing industry. And I look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I respect the views, and we've talked about it on social media quite a lot. I, I completely respect the views. Uh, Tony Mullins was an interesting case in point who was saying, you make an interesting point, Emmett, but there's a lot of mid-tier trainers who wouldn't agree with you. Um, and the point and, and, and Tony, Tony said that for a long time. He has, he you has know, indeed. Tony's, Tony's the kind of guy who's been saying, you know, we we need less of of um, this duopoly, um, which is theoretically good for the economy and stuff. But there are there are small to medium sized trainers who are going to the wall with regularity because they cannot compete, um, and that's a fair point. But of course, you know, there it's a um, it's an issue that has lots of different facets to it and you need to be able to look at them all. And Tony's point is a very valid one. Um, and he would take little comfort from the fact that, you know, Irish racing and in inverted commas is doing really well when he himself is, is struggling and people he know who've made a reasonable living out of the sport for 20 or 30 years can't see a future in it. So, you know, for the big picture, there are lots of little pictures with different stories. Hmm. And the problem with that is that that's depressing. Like, like it is it is genuinely depressing when you think of that. And I, I was thinking about national racing when I was becoming really interested in it when I was slightly younger and, um, you know, as a boy becoming interested in, in horse racing. And the image that keeps coming back to my mind is J.P. McManus's silks, David Johnson's silks, God rest him, but then how it would be like a multitude of different colors. That you know, there were so many different owners, so many different people involved in the sport, um, and now there there are dominant groups, but Gigginstown aren't the only ones. And tragically, we've lost the pots. Uh, 
their horses remain in training, but there's no new investment. That's that's that. Uh, the horses will see out their their remaining racing days, and then will be retired. Now, Gigginstown have come out of the market as well. In terms of the little guy, you're still having to compete with Rich Ritchie, Graham Wiley, J.P. McManus, Jared Sullivan, Isaac Sweet, and Simon Munir. They've got bags of cash and they're still going to go to their go-to people. They're still going to bring their horses to Willie Mullins, Nicky Henderson, Paul Nichols. These guys are still going to do fine. Gordon Elliott. They, they'll be fine. It's the other trainers around them that, that worry me. Noel Mead, Henry de Bromhead, for example. I'm sure they, they will still have success, but Gigginstown are big supporters of theirs. Now they're gone. And there's 50 point-to-point horses per year are trained in Ireland, owned by Gigginstown. That's going to be gone now as well. So that's, you make a point that I wanted to make and, and have done on social media already as well, which I think is hugely important and is being some way lost in the translation of all this, which is when people want to make the argument that, and again, you're completely entitled to your view and we're just going to have to wait and see how this all plays out. That we Gigginstown out of the market, it makes it oh, it's now going to be more affordable, or people, the, you know, the little guy can succeed. But what happens when actually a lot of those horses that were guaranteed to be trained in Ireland now end up being trained in the UK? That's fantastic for British racing. It's great for there, but this is not. This is a dangerous time for Irish racing. It really is. A lot of people don't want to talk about it, but it is a dangerous time, and it's not good when you've tragically lost the pots ownership. And now you're losing the champion owner who is leaving the sport because his kids seemingly have no interest in it whatsoever. And it was notable that Michael O'Leary didn't go to the Irish champion hurdle when the, his beloved Apples Jade was running. Didn't turn up because the Irish rugby team were playing. She was racing hours before that game. And it's only, you know, Michael O'Leary can get from Leopardstown to the Aviva Stadium pretty damn quickly his kids didn't seem to have an interest in it and and so that's that's worrying because if his children don't share and his his kids if they don't share the interest that a, a man who is dominating the game a, a multi you know a three-time grand national winning owner gold cup winning owner multiple Cheltenham festival winning owner they're not interested nah doesn't do it for me that's worrying because then what happens if Rich Ritchie decides, actually, I've kind of had enough of people having a go at me. Uh, I'm going to go off and play golf. Or if Graham Wiley walks away. It's, it's, a, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Because racing has become so reliant on these big owners that we kind of, that, that a lot of people aren't very comfortable with. And it's the pinhookers, the, the, uh, the stable staff, um, breeders, every single level of industry around racing inevitably suffers because of this. Horse racing sponsorship. Do Ryanair continue to support racing at Cheltenham? Or does Mick O'Leary just go, well, I'm not in this anymore, so I'm not supporting the Ryanair chase. Why would I? You know, Does he no longer sponsor the Ryanair chase at, at Fairy House? These are all huge questions that we don't know the answer to yet. It's not good to have a major power player like this walk away from the sport, it can't be. On the other hand, 
every time there's a big owner in the sport in the modern game, uh, outside of the um, of the traditional owner breeders, they're only in for a, for a certain period of time. We cannot expect that any big owner in the, in the modern game is going to be there for 30 years. So if someone plies 20 million in the sport now and says, I love the horse racing, you've got to expect it to move on in five years. Mm. And, and British racing is in exactly the same situation. Um, we're completely reliant on the Arabs and the Qataris. Uh, and if they decide to say, actually, this isn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be, or I'm not getting the respect I should get, and they pull out, then where do you go from there? You, you know, the one thing I would say is you've always got to bear in mind that um, big owners are going to be potentially fleeting, and you can't tie everything you have um, to to one person to pull you through. You've always got to be aware that um, that there will be these periods of change. Um, every every so often, you've got to be willing to to um, to go with the flow and and change and develop uh, with the um, the ecosystem. Do you feel as though the argument that it's going to become easier for the little guy is a actually that's even a somewhat I'm not even comfortable with that phrase. It's a somewhat patronizing argument, but it's it is the one that's been said. But let's say middle tier owners that they suddenly will be able to become more competitive in the marketplace. Do you buy into that when there is still such powerful owners around in in that circle? Like there is still going to be Jared Sullivan. Yeah, but then by definition, if you you know if you take if, if you take the biggest player out of the marketplace, um, you're you're shrinking the market slightly, and you're making it more likely that some um, that that people can. Um, pick up decent horses for, for less than they were it's just that's just economics isn't it yeah it's not it's, it's not a um as i said there's you know there, there's a wider picture there um if the market if the market stops expanding as it has been if, if there isn't quite as much interest in in um in um buying bloodstock then it's uh, a shrinking market is not is not something for everyone to to whip and holler about it makes it easier for certain players in there, but it's bad for the market. Yeah, it is. And we've wondered how much longer this bubble can sustain itself. We're kind of getting our answer now with, with them stepping away. Um, it's, it's interesting to see the reaction online as well. Not everybody are huge fans of Gigginstown, and some within the industry aren't huge fans of them either. But to me, they're, they've been incredibly influential. They've been huge supporters of the game. Um, I thought Willie Mullins' comments were very interesting. That that he was quite shocked about it, and that you know they didn't fall out, and that um, it you know it it was what it was, but that they've they had some great times, and he thought Mick O'Leary would be in it for life. Um, and and I I guess that's what what we thought as fans as well, and that's what makes it such a shock and that's also what makes it such a fascinating story because maybe people are out maybe it is going to turn out to be a, a good thing but I I do remember having a conversation and it's not fair to say who it was with but it was with a fairly big UK racing journalist at Cheltenham last year and he was saying to me how do we stop this Gigginstown domination and I was like but what? Uh, it was the final day at Cheltenham. They were clearly going to be champion owners. Like, how do we stop this? Like, you know, this isn't good for the sport. How do we? How do we 
do we put a cap on runners do we uh, put a cap on ownership do we do we um, have to limit the amount of horses that you have in training with a certain trainer it's like well that, well, that opens huge cans of worms like like you know what then then they'll just divide their ownership up into different things or you're just going to push people out and now um, as Rory's private plane arrives on the tarmac ready to uh, to take him off uh, we'll um, you know we're now in a situation where they walk away completely so I, I don't think it's a good thing it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out uh, I, I also think it's very interesting that point that you made that they're not going to sell their horses. They they haven't been shy about selling horses over the last few years. So I wonder if the the lesser lights will still be sold, or will they well, keep the, everything? Specific. The statement specifically said that all the horses currently with Jigenstein would see out their careers in those colours. Hmm. Okay, that's going to be interesting. So I thought I thought, that I thought that was an interesting one. But and again, you know, the only reason you want to you want to sell them is to, is to streamline the operation. Well, there's no re- there's no need to streamline the operation. If they think the horses aren't any good and they're not going to go anywhere, they might just retire them early, um, rather than you know, if you got a horse that you had Group One hopes or Group One hopes for and it's it's not quite that good anymore, and you don't want to flog it down the field, then you might say, well, you know, off you go to pastures new. So we'll see what actually happens with that. But um, I'd have thought the the intention is to. Um, is to keep them racing while they're while they're capable of racing. I'd read it with a pinch of salt, that, but that's an interesting take yeah. on it. Actually, it's a very interesting take on it. Um, to sum it up, good or bad for Irish and UK racing? Because also, the the knock-on effect for the BHA is that a massive owner will now no longer be contributing in time uh, those huge entry fees. So, Gigginstown's departure from National Hunt Racing, good or bad, Rory? Well, it's given the start choice the answer is bad um but it's all this is also a cyclical thing it, it's just something we see with this has been especially big owner who's disappearing owners will appear from nowhere and disappear again um through the sport historically you know we did have and we still have to some degree got those traditional owner breeders but they're disappearing and uh, racing's now a rich man's sport um, and by by definition, look at Robert Ogden. Doesn't have jumpers anymore because he's always on his yacht when they're winning races. Um, and people will 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 disappear for the sport for spurious reasons like that as well. And we need to expect that to happen. We will have big players. Uh, we'll have new big players appear, and we will have them disappear. Um, we can't expect when we when we see a good thing that it's going to last forever. And similarly, when something like this happens, and it looks like it's going to have monumental consequences. Um, that will be ameliorated somewhere down the line by someone else stepping in. Um, the, the sport in Ireland is in, is in very good shape at the moment um, uh, compared to what it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, and the question is how you, you utilise um, the situation as it is um, and how you get new owners into the sport, whether they are syndi- – I mean, there's an opportunity for syndicates now um, – uh, where that's been difficult, um, and in, the, in the the times of the of the Celtic Tiger, there are a lot of syndicates getting involved and winning big races at Cheltenham. That's less so these days, but there's now more of an opportunity for for new syndicates to be formed as well. Well, and there is you know there is a vacuum there for a big owner to come in. Um, we don't know who that's going to be, but we know that we will see um, new players come into the game on a on a semi regular basis. This just seems like a big loss at the moment. Um, and it's not a good thing. I think a lot of the arguments saying that this is this is great because it makes racing more competitive, it doesn't. 
obviously. Yeah. It makes it look like the spread is bigger. Um, but making racing more competitive needs to mean that you're seeing the best quality. And, and with Jiggins time, we always did see quality in, in action and they weren't ever afraid to run their horses against each other um, as a rule. So um, that's a little bit of a false argument, but it's not the end of the world either. Hopefully, on that brighter note, to end it, it's not the end of the world. Do you think that there's a certain element of nostalgia amongst National Hunt Racing fans that they almost long, certain people long for the days of what I was talking about earlier on, the multitude of colors, the, the various different characters? But that's gone, Rory. It's highly unlikely yeah, that game, it's ever going to be the, back. The game is a, exactly. It's a very different game now than it was um, 30 years ago and if you go back 30 years people were saying oh it's not the game it was 30 years ago and yeah. and so it goes on um we don't have the characters in inverted commas that we used to have but if we did have some of the characters we used to have they'd be getting themselves warned off very quickly <laughs> these days um you know c- certain things are more palatable when they when they happened two generations ago than if they were happening at the moment so it's very easy to to look at all the um all the the things from the good old days that, that we enjoyed in retrospect um but we'd be up in arms about a lot of them now so yes you're right there's an awful lot of rose tinted glasses about the past um and we need to we need to be aware that um modern racing is a, a completely different beast um to the traditional sport we had you know after the war um, and we have to deal with it accordingly. After the war, yeah, every generation looks back and, and, and goes, oh, it's, it wasn't like that in my day. You know, but it, we all do that. Um, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out, but I, I genuinely hope those who think it's a good thing are right. I really do, because I, I don't. Um, but but we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Uh, the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe will be live on Sky Sports Racing. It is obviously one of the greatest races in the world, and you and a friend can be there on Sunday, the 6th of October, uh, where you will get a three-day trip to Paris, including return flights and transfers, five-star accommodation and breakfast, hospitality at Paris Longchamp on Arc Day, and a guided tour of Laurent Perrier with lunch. Uh, check out attheraces.com or the At The Races app for your opportunity to enter. And uh, Rory, I believe your wife can enter, so maybe that would be a route in. Tell your family, tell your friends, and if you do happen to win, consider bringing one of us with you. Don't do that. Seriously, you'd actually probably end up getting in trouble. But best of luck to everybody and um, take part in it. That's an incredible, incredible prize. Uh, we're back on Monday. Kevin Blake returns on Monday as well. We'll recap the uh, Derby picture. We'll get Kevin's take on Gigginstown. And we'll talk about lots more stuff, including the finale of Game of Thrones. Sky Atlantic, 2 a.m. Sunday morning. Oh, my God, I can't wait. From Roy Delargy. Good night. It's afternoon, so you've confused me. Yeah, and but they'll be listening to at different times. <laughs> they're, they're, you, you could be listening in the morning, you could be listening in the afternoon and night. Yes, exactly. So good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. Uh, from me, Emmett Kennedy, thanks so much for listening. We'll chat to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.